You're listening to She Bake, a podcast for and about women in Australian beekeeping. Find us on Instagram, she underscore beak, that's S-H-E underscore B-E-E-K, and on Facebook, She Beak. Good morning, Kathy. Hello, Joe. How are you? Good. Long time no speak. Uh, look, busy people, you know, we've been busy. I'm, I'm busy. You're busy. The bees are busy. I'm sure everyone listening is busy. But we're here, so there you go. Yeah, we talked to Kit Prendergast. Um, she's a researcher extraordinaire and performance artist and all-round awesome beak. And uh, we talked to Kit about stingless bees and mm-hmm. pollinator week and some of the fun awesome things that she does and yeah we had a really good chat with kit because we're still trying to wrap up our dangers and risks episode which you know kind of has come off the rails a little bit because you know 2020 it's a crazy year everything's been just sort of all over the place but boy oh boy it's been fun hasn't it sure has and I think we're all just very busy women and it's really, yeah, coming up to the end of the year, it's even worse. So but what, we will get there with the risk ones. But. That's okay. Look, it's it's all cool. I'm sure our listener base are sympathetic to all of the crazy that has been happening and are also probably dealing with juggling a hundred things too. So I'm sure that we'll be um, understood and forgiven. Um, I just wanted to say, shout out to AWIB community. There is just such a a groundswell of positivity there and helpful information and advice without judgment and without sort of, you know, teasing or shaming people. And it's just so lovely. Yeah, I agree. It's really, really nice community. And um, everyone I think feels very supported there, which is nice as the alternative we know in some of those sites is um, yeah, not very nice in some instances. And I don't know about you, but I've noticed there's, a couple of um, uh, expert-driven kind of um, question-and-answer places popping up lately. There's one for native bees. There's like a Facebook um, group where you can chat and post questions about um, native bees and stingless bees and get quality information and advice rather than people scoffing and shaming you. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, my main points of contact are Facebook, but, you know, still it's nice that there's, there's informative groups out there with support at, at the core rather than, um, you know, the opposite. Yeah, agreed. Definitely agreed. So what have you been up to with your beekeeping? Uh, let's see. Um, very busy at, at the workplace with um, factory fitting out and sort of, you know, expanding equipment and doing things on big grand scales. Um, so that's kind of a little bit, overwhelming sometimes but it's also really fun to see it starting to come together um so gearing up for a really big productive new year at home or making a lot of honey the bees are Mm -hmm. just making an enormous amount of honey and um yeah they're doing quite well it's yeah quite a contrast to the last season where um you know because of the cold the dry the lack of water the um the smoke from fire and the absence of forage 
the mm. yield from the hives was down. So I've compared with a couple of other um, beekeepers who I know around my area. And between us, I think we, we all agreed that the average was about 50 or 60 kilogram yield per hive for the whole year. And that, wow. I mean, that's just ridiculously low. Um, mm. At the moment this year, we've already exceeded that and we're mm. only partway through the season. So it, yeah, we've definitely had a bounce back. It's been really amazing, really fantastic. Um, but yeah, you know, it's a seasonal endeavor and we're very dependent on, um, on the weather and on other factors. So, you know, it is what it is. What, how are things that in your neck of the woods, Joe? Um, seems a little bit slow from what I'm hearing there's some people starting to harvest some honey now, but, um, it's just been so changeable down here, the weather, and we just keep getting these really horrible, I mean, you know, it's raining, you know, on and off all the time and then and dropping down to quite low temperatures quite often. So it's, I think it's just really disrupting their foraging. So they're quite slow. I've got a couple of hives that are building up fairly quickly, but it's a bit, um, seems a little bit hit and miss, but mind you. I mean, I've got quite a few swarms that are really just establishing them themselves after, you know, having that run of catching all those swarms. Some are going great guns um, and others are taking a little bit longer to sort of get going. So um, the flow hive is going. I've noticed that um, with that colony I popped in the flow hive at my house, um, they're just starting to get up into the super and um, do their thing. So that's good to see because it's obviously a new um colony that I only just got and yeah it's good to see that they're going okay so it's fun to, my, yeah. it's, it's fabulous fun to watch the progress with the with the new flow hive yeah yeah absolutely really really good but um I was going to say one of my major difficulties and I'm sure that this is the case with a lot of people is obviously with the weather being so changeable and me working full-time during the week it's really, it's really can be really hard to, you know, get a day that you can actually go out and do all your inspections and things like that that just happens to be a good enough day weather-wise to be able to do it. So that's, you know, the uh, the story, as I said, with lots of people, I'm sure, but it does prove to make it quite difficult. Absolutely. Squeezing it in around other things and especially when swarms are issuing and, you know, you can't just sort of drop everything and go pick up a swarm. So what are some of the solutions around that? I mean, having a mentor or a bee buddy or a community or a network of friends who know bees, uh, who you might be able to call upon, that that's one way to sort of help get around and manage some of that workload. What are some other suggestions, Joe? Um, well, I sort of work with my husband. So, I mean, we can sort of help each other out in that respect. If we just need to go out and do a quick visual or do something specific, we can sort of do that. And my daughter's gotten into it too, so that's helpful. Um, but, you know, definitely, yeah, the bee clubs and having people that you know that can, can assist is, is excellent. Um, yeah. Have you been using the Inspect Now app In, at all? Yeah, I've got Inspect Next, which yeah. is, I think it's, at first I thought, okay, so let's just do a little impromptu app review. At first I thought this is just a weather app with a B on it. But yeah. but then looking at it again, it's actually quite cool because you can customise it for any region, any country, any town that you're in. Yeah, You can pre-program different locations. So uh, if you have an apiary here and an apiary there, you can have both those locations pre-programmed in. Yep. And with one tap at a glance, you can get a quick summary of, is it going to be really windy? Is it going to be too cold? Is it 
what day should I plan to go and open the hive? Uh, so actually now I, I have revised my opinion. It's not just the weather app with a B on it. It's actually a really helpful little at-a-glance um, uh, indicator. Oh, phone call. Sorry, not now. Um, <laughs> it's a really good little a good tool and I, I definitely like it and I recommend it to others. What do you think? I, I actually agree with that too, um, particularly with the weather that we've been having and being so busy with everything else, just to be able to look at that app and you can set it to optimal. I think it's optimal or viable. So you can actually see when it's, you know, optimal, optimal time of the day to go or time of the week to go or it's just basically viable. It's You could do it. It's probably not the best time, but you can still get away with it. So I just, yeah, I just find that a good good app to have. So, yeah, it's Inspect Next, isn't it? That's mm-hmm. what it's called. Yeah. And do, so, do you use any other beekeeping apps, Joe? Uh, yeah, I use B Plus for um, recording all my inspections, mm. and I found that fairly straightforward to use. So, got no complaints with that. I have, you know, visual. I take pictures of um, the hives and the inspections, and add them in for each of the the hives, um, and give them all specific, you know, names and rundowns of everything that's happening. So I find, and you can do that all that within the app so it's I find it good I love it I love B plus I've been using it all year and um it just it's fantastic I haven't really looked at all the other tiles I've used the apiaries one um but there's all these other settings in there there's notebooks and finances you can put in time plans and stuff and you can even cost up your equipment so if your operation is kind of growing as it does beekeeping is a bit addictive so as things sort of grow and expand you can kind of you can use B plus in more and more ways. I, I love it. I absolutely love it. The first thing I do when I go into a, an apiary is take a photo and then mm-hmm. after I've done stuff, then you sort of stand back and go, oh, that's great. Look at that and take another photo. So you can put all the, yeah. you put all these visual records in to B plus as well, which is cool. Yeah, that's what I really like about it too. So, yeah, so they're the, the main two that I, well, probably, probably the only two that I actually use in relation to my beekeeping specifically. Do you have any others? There's a there's a one from America called Hive Tracks that we're looking at for um, the commercial apiary. Right. It's it's kind of a bigger brother of um, B plus. So instead of looking at individual hive level stuff, you're looking at different apiaries or yards. They're American, mm-hmm. so it's an American app. So they call them bee yards or apiaries. But, yeah, you don't need to make notes necessarily on each individual hive because in one apiary site you'd try to have all the hives at a consistent level, like they'd all have two supers or they'd all have, you know, um, new queens all at the same time kind of thing. So you're kind of making records in hive tracks at the apiary level. Uh, So, um, yeah, ask me again about that later. I haven't really played with it too much, but it's quite nice, customisable. You can access it online offline that's got a platform and the mobile app and you can actually print off um, pdf reports about what's going on and you can track in real time if you have a crew of people out working different sites you can monitor them in real time and see where they are and what they're up to fantastic all right we'll we'll check back in with you about that for sure so shall we have a little listen to kit and then you chat with her and then we'll come back Yes, it's a fairly longish interview with Kit. We cover some amazing subjects and, um, you know, it gets a bit sexy in there. She's got some interesting observations and then, you know, so this one's maybe uh, not safe for work. No, maybe not for the kids. Maybe <laughs> don't don't have the kids in the car at the end of the interview for this one. Oh, I need to put a warning up for this one, eh? <laughs> 
Enjoy. I'm Kit Prendergast. I'm a native bee scientist and I recently submitted my PhD thesis in August. I spent the past four years of my life um, being fully engrossed with bees and my research was looking at how urbanisation affects native bees in the southwest Western Australian biodiversity hotspots. So southwest WA is um, recognised worldwide as one of the most biodiverse places in the world. This is based on the number of plants, um, their endemicity, so um, how many only occur in this area and the extent of land clearing that has happened. Um, so it's a really important place for, for plants, um, but we, we don't really know how the diversity of bees um, is related to the plants and also in particular in Perth. Um, Perth is right in this biodiversity hotspot. It's a capital city, but um, it still has lots of patches of bushland um, in and around, uh, and around the city. So I wanted to look at the relative value of these remnant bushland patches with residential gardens. So that was one um, part of my, my thesis. And then I was also looking at the impact of the honeybee on native bees and pollination networks, because honeybees are actually an introduced species in Australia. And so we know um, based on cats and cane toads and foxes that introduced species are um, usually pose a threat to our native wildlife. And so I wanted to look at that and whether honeybees were competing with our native bees. So that, that was my PhD thesis. And then throughout the thesis, I ended up doing many other bee-related things um, as well as unbee-related things. So I, I do gymnastics and I do recently um, started doing circus and I'm now circus performer. Um, and it's really good to have like I'm, I'm so passionate about science and, and bees. And so that takes up a lot of my time, but then I also have this time to get in touch with my like creative side. And I always make sure that I um, like, I find like, I love nature. So I'm always going out in nature every single morning. I go for a bike ride along the river. Um, so I try and have a, a good, good balance there, I suppose, even though, as I said, like bees are a huge part of my life and they've become, part of my like identity. So my, my sort of stage name is Bee Babette. And um, that was from, I did uh, a presentation and a photographic display for Fringe World Festival, which is a, a big uh, sort of cultural festival. Um, and it, it, it occurs across the world, but Fringe World is in Perth. And it's a sort of celebration of arts, there's circus, there's comedy, um, and it's, it's a bit avant-garde and so, um, they wanted to have native bees, which, you know, are, are still sort of fringy as a, a big part of the festival a couple of years ago. So I consulted with that and they made me uh, an amygdala, also known as a blue banded bee um, dress. And so I dressed up in that um, and that's come out a number of times. I've, I've worn that for um, Fame Lab um, competitions. So yeah, I try and, um, you know, tie in, in bees a lot with, what I do. Um, but interestingly, um, you, you hear most people say, oh, like, you know, I've been in love with bees forever or whatever, like, subject they're working on, um, you know, 
beekeepers, for example, they'll be like, oh, my family, you know, has been keeping bees for, for generations. I actually never thought I would work on bees. Like I thought bees were, you know, cool, but I didn't even really know that there were more bees than the honeybee, which I think is sadly the case of most people. Um, you know, all I knew was that there was this bee and I didn't even really think about that it was introduced. Um, and uh, so I did my, I, my qualifications are zoology and conservation biology. And I did my honours on horse behaviour because um, ever since I was about eight, I was like horse crazy. Um, so I loved horses and I, I wanted to um, do something with, with horses because uh, my parents never really supported the, the horse crazy phase. Um, so I was like, oh, I'm, you know, I finally get the chance to research something um, that, you know, most people actually do a research project that's on offer, but I was like, no, I want to design my own, which is the same with my PhD actually. Um, so I, I did that on horses and I published the study. It was very interesting, but there's limited scope um, with working with horses and it's um, a lot harder to you know, get sample sizes and um, lots of logistic challenges there. Um, and then, you know, I thought of the bee project and it's just, it's blossomed and um, there's just so many different diverse aspects that you can look at when, when researching bees. So they're a really fascinating topic. So, wow. Yeah. Amazing. What an amazing journey, you know, and it's, it's so cool to see your, your alter ego bee baby. Um, she's on, she's on Insta, she's on Twitter, she's popping up all over the place in festivals. And, um, you know, I think you're just, you epitomize the, um, the beak, the beak girl perfectly. (laughs) Thank you. I, um, that, that means a lot to me. And I think it's really important, um, to show people, especially like young girls that you like that this stereotypical image of a scientist or especially like an entomologist as like an old white guy in cardigans like you know nothing against people that are like that but um you know you can like the you can be yourself and you know being a scientist like it's very much part of my identity but you know that i there's also all these other diverse aspects of my identity and you know i hate people telling me oh you know you should look like this or dress like this and I'm like no I'm just going to be myself and I think like lots of younger people really appreciate that and I think it will inspire them to realize that yeah they can follow a scientific pathway and they don't have to be some sort of like boring (laughs) old person yeah so congratulations on submitting your PhD that's a massive milestone and I just want to take a moment and say you know good on you mate because that that's it does take a long it takes up it like it absorbs your whole consciousness your whole life like Mm. you're you're sleeping it you're eating it you're breathing it you're thinking about your thesis while you're in the shower you know all the time constantly (laughs) so um congratulations that's so it's in review now i take it it's in examination at the moment yeah it's under examination it actually um was was examined and um my university did a mistake and they sent it to someone that was an adjunct. So they actually weren't allowed to examine it. And so after it was examined, they realized they made a mistake and had to send it out again. So um, yeah, I would have gotten it back by now, but it's been delayed. 
Oh, wow. So yeah, waiting, playing the waiting game. But while, mm. you, while you're waiting for that examiner's report to come back, and fingers crossed, everything's all good, all, all good. Um, but uh. while you're waiting, we've, had, we've just finished National Pollinator Week, um, Australian Pollination Week. Um, so can you tell us, Kit, a little bit about some of the cool events that you've been doing the last few days over the last week or so? Yeah, so um, Pollinator Week has been um, going on from 7th to 15th of November. And it's a fairly recent um, celebration of, of pollinators. It's only been happening a few years, but every year it gets bigger and bigger. Um, and it was, it was really quite a, a huge celebration this year, which is wonderful. There are events happening all over the country. Uh, I was involved in, in quite a number. I um, ended up doing, I think, eight presentations in total over the week. So I had um, a couplet for um, local councils and then for a uh, local um, community garden group and then um, for Millennium Kids, which is a, a project that's looking at um, education for children, like turning over the sort of traditional curriculum and making it very project-based, getting kids to design their own projects and um, make a difference to the environment and the com community. So that was good. And I did that at um, Lake Claremont, which is a special um, site for me because I've been serving that for native bees. And then I also held a couple of events myself. So I had a online Zoom presentation where I talked about one of my favorite species of bee, Amagilla dorsoni. I went up and uh, researched that as a little diversion from my PhD to assist a famous bee researcher from Arizona. And it's, it's a very, very special bee. So um, I've written a book about that. If anyone is interested, they can get in touch. Um, and then that was followed by an ask me anything. So people um, could ask me any questions about bee conservation or um, methods to help bees, any questions about cool bees. And then um, I also had a live panel discussion and Q&A with um, none other than Costa from Gardening Australia. And he is such a fabulous um, presenter. He really has a, an amazing skill at um, communicating um, science or gardening or anything with uh, you know, a, a popular audience. So it was great chatting with him and he was very good at coordinating it. Um, so he's, he's quite an inspiration and like my parents love him. So uh, it, was, it was good to, to chat with him and my parents were very excited about that. And then as part of the panel discussion, um, there is a couple of other people that have been heavily involved in Pollinator Week, like Tim Hurd from Sugar Bag Bees, Dan Smales from Sydney Bees, um, Fiona Chambers from Wean Bee Foundation and Megan Howcroft from Bees Business. So it was a, and we all have very different diverse backgrounds. So I'm very much more like the, the scientific research background with the diversity of um, bees. Whereas Tim is more the sugar bag bees um, from like a management um, perspective. Dan is, is public outreach mainly with the sugar bag bees. And then um, Fiona is, is more like 
PR and, and funding with the Wien B Foundation and then Megan Halkoft is very much about the outreach and communication um, and she's been quite involved with Pollinator Week for I think since its inception. So it was great to have those like very different um, perspectives there. And then throughout the week, I've also been um, doing a vote for people's favorite species of bee in Australia. So um, there's been about over 200 um, submissions. So I still need to collect them all and tally them up. And um, but I think I, based on just like a, a quick scan through it, I'm pretty sure I know which bee is the one that Ooh, was voted the favorite. <laughs> can, you, can you tell us any, any hints? Can you tell it, has it perhaps got blue bands maybe? Um, yes, but with the caveat that lots of those bees that are called blue banded bees actually don't have very blue bands. So they should be really called amygdala because not all of them have very blue bands. But yes, your, your guess is, is spot on. <laughs> well, we'll have to wait and see what the data says, right? Yes. Yes. Wow. Uh, that's amazing. And it's, it's wonderful that people are voting for their favourite bee because, you know, we hear about uh, the taxonomy of bees, like there's over 1,600 species in Australia and they're not all known, are they? Like they're not all recognised, classified, mm -hmm. understood. Very much so. So that's, that's a huge, huge thing with native bees in Australia is that there is just so much work to be done with the taxonomy. Um, there's about, as you said, um, about 1,650 described species, but these are described. There is hundreds and hundreds that are undescribed. So they're in um, museum drawers and they just have a little code name or even worse, no code name. Um, so during my, my research uh, for, just, for just for my PhD project, um, almost one fifth of the bees that I collected couldn't be identified to species. Um, this doesn't mean that they are new to science, it just means that they haven't been formally described. And even the ones that have some of the descriptions are so very old that they're, they're not very useful for identifying the bees. And then there's probably quite a few um, synonyms. So where someone's described a bee species, especially, you know, long ago, and there was limited ability to communicate between institutions, you know, before the internet and everything. So someone would go and describe a, a bee species and it would only be in like a, you know, a physical record. And then someone from another country would, would find that species and think that hadn't been described. So they'd go and describe it. So it's, it, there's a lot of work to be done. <laughs> and how can people get involved in participating in that sort of work? Like you imagine the, the old gray haired man in the cardigan in the museum, <laughs> you know, blowing the dust off the specimens in the drawers and, and looking at them through a microscope, but how can someone like, uh, you know, young people, kids who are interested or school holiday projects, or how can citizens get involved in that taxonomy of Australian bee species? So that the taxonomy is actually probably the most challenging aspect of all. You can't describe a bee or even identify it in most cases to species level from a photograph. So um, collections are really important, but only by, you know, taxonomists so that they can be formally curated and described. 
um, I guess the best thing would be to, um, you know, invest in taxonomy. So there's, um, it was launched um, at the end of Pollinator Week, but um, Taxonomy Australia, which is a, a new um, organisation, they have a, a, a goal to describe all Australian species um, in, uh, I think it was 50 years. And they, they're going to start off with bees, which is very exciting for me. And so I've been part of those discussions and they're, they're, recent, they're seeking funding. So that would be a great cause to contribute to. And um, I guess with, you know, people, if they, you know, take photos of bees, even though it can't be identified to species, it might, you know, if you upload them, for example, to bees in the burbs, um, you know, often we can be like, wow, that, that looks like it's a species that hasn't been collected before. And, um, you know, my, my Bees in the Burbs Facebook group has been really useful, um, not only for that, but for especially um, uh, introduced species. So I published a paper this year um, on uh, introduced species of bee um, called Pseudoanthidium repetitum. Um, its common name is African Carter bee. And it was introduced to Australia in 2000 um, in Queensland unintentionally and it spread very rapidly down the east coast and we thought it was only there but then it turned up in Perth and I had a photo um, on um, Beast in the Burbs uh, so that I was able to identify it and um, go out and visit the lady in Mandurah so if anyone's in Mandurah listening um, keep an eye out um, and if you're interested I can send you the, the paper um, on this, this bee and it's got images of the bee to, to keep an eye out. It makes its nests often in electrical meter boxes and it's called a carter bee because the females scrape plant fibers off and they make their nests like, it looks like a big ball of cotton candy. Um, it's, it's very distinctive. So like, you know, I would never have, um, like my studies haven't been in Mandurah, I would have never found that this bee was there if it weren't for um, citizen science. So um, I'm very grateful for that. And another one of my papers was, again, thank, thanks to, to citizen scientists, people seeing bees, taking photos or contacting me about questions and reaching out. In this case, it was a man who had lots of bees nesting in the polystyrene insulation of his house. And um, this is very novel because um, like no bees have been known to do this before. So it was a, a very new observation, um, which was very exciting for me. So yeah, I, I really appreciate citizen science. So if people want to learn more about native bees, but also contribute. Um, I've got my Bees in the Birds Facebook group. And on there, I've got some citizen science projects. Um, one is for bee observations in Western Australia. So when people see bees, they can record um, when and where they see them. And there's a spreadsheet for residential areas and then one for parks and reserves. And I've been running this like ongoing and I'd love to see how the bees, like when people see them might change in relation to climate, for example. And then I've got one on bee hotels as well, which is a global one. So anyone can contribute to that. Amazing, fantastic work. Thank you so much for um, pointing out these excellent sites. So bees in the burbs, and is that just mainly for Western Australian um, citations or is, any, um, is no, everyone welcome? Everyone is welcome. I've got people from not even all over Australia, but all over the world. So that's exciting when, um, you know, people post photos of bees from, from other countries and it means I get to see 
bumblebees, which <laughs> are really, really cute. They're cute, but yeah, not welcome, but yeah, very cute. Not welcome here, but yeah, when they're, they're from overseas and they're posted, um, it's all, it's all good. Wow. So much to do and so much to learn. So what's next for you, Kit? I mean, the, the big hurdle is sort of, you've passed that big hurdle, submitted the PhD. You've got a, um, a very big growing list of publications here. I'm just looking at your, um, at your ORCID account. Some very impressive and, and interest, fascinating studies in here, like really groundbreaking stuff. What's next? What's on the cards for you next? What's coming up? Well, um, ideally, I would like to do a postdoc and I have all these ideas. I'd love to study the effect of fire on bees, also the effect of pesticides on um, solitary cavity nesting bees, which has never been studied in Australia. Um, and also uh, continue looking at... Um, the, the use of bee hotels, the use of foraging at different heights of trees. Um, so that has like major conservation implications. Um, looking at um, using like genetic studies to see how roads might be impairing um, the, the bee populations from um, colonizing new habitats or, or moving between habitats. So all these ideas, um, mm. the difficulty is getting funding. So, and, and a postdoc or even just funding in general. So, um, you know, I've been writing up grants with limited success. It's quite depressing. <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll see how that goes at the moment. I'm just, um, revising articles and doing some, um, bee surveys for the Department of Biodiversity Conservation and Attractions, which I'm, I'm loving. It's, it's really great to be doing that and going out in the field again. I've missed that a lot. Mm. And um, doing some surveys for the, the local councils around here. So it's wonderful that there's some local councils that are really interested in, in discovering what bees are in their, their local bushland and what plants they're foraging on. This can really help guide restoration activities and you know, get a better idea of where and when bees are foraging. So it's, it's really great work um, that I've been doing. Um, I really enjoy it. I wanted to ask you one more follow-up question about the survey methods. And I know you've written a literature review paper about the different types of survey methods with um, different kinds of traps. Can you describe for us um, the different sorts of, um, yeah, the, the traps and things that you would, that, that you use and how, how effective are they at sort of um, allowing us to understand the diversity of bee species in a particular area? Yeah, so this was um, probably my like, one of my most exciting papers to date, I think. So it actually came out, it was published on um, International Bee Day this year. So it was nice, a coincidence. Awesome. That's um, right. Yeah, uh, so it, and it's the first, paper of my thesis that's actually been published as well. So it's chapter, chapter three of my thesis. Um, and I looked at, I did both a literature review, the different methods to survey bees as well as put them to the test myself. Mm. And um, so there's active sampling where um, I get a, an entomological sweep net and I go out and collect bees actively sweeping them, collecting them off the flowers. Then there's passive methods, which include bee bowls where you put out 
bowls that are different colours, mainly yellow and blue, because that's what bees are attracted to. Fill them with water with um, like detergent so that it, you know, the surface tension um, means that if bees fly in, they can't fly out again. Um, and then there's vein traps, which are um, basically buckets with um, liquid in them. And then they've got two vertical um, veins one is a yellow one and then the other trap has a blue ones and um, the bees attracted to the veins um, then they fly into the veins and then fall down into the bucket and lots of um, people like using the passive methods because they don't require much like skill and they can be deployed over larger scales and um, they require less time so they have those benefits but I found that they're actually not very good at all if you want to get a proper picture of the native bees that are there. You will miss so much of the diversity and they're also biased towards bees that are um, quite generalist. So the Amagilla, they're generalist bees, they're large bodied. They really like the blue vein traps, the, the pan traps or bee bowls, the helictids, which are again, generalist bees. They, um, they like going in the pan traps. But you know the specialist bees, the ones that like are most vulnerable, they don't turn up. So if you're um, putting the traps out, um, they also tend to be better in poorer habitats. And I, um, I think that's because you know when there's real flowers, you know real flowers have scent. Um, they've got so many other cues. Like why would a bee go to a coloured bowl if they've got their host plant there? But in a resource poor habitat, so an, an apple orchard, when there's all there is is apples. So I, I've done some studies there. The bee bowls are attractive. So you'd get, like if you were to con compare habitats, you would say, oh, that apple orchard with hardly any native vegetation is better based on how many catches you get in the bee bowls. But it's completely incorrect. It's because the bee bowls are attractive in poor habitats. So that was a really um, important thing to come out of that study. And yeah, it does mean that, you know, you, you can't really shortcut the methods, but it, it's an opportunity for, for people to learn taxonomy um, and, you know, recognize the value of, of entomologists who, you know, spend a lot of their time honing their reflexes. <laughs> <laughs> being able to collect <laughs> native bees. Fascinating stuff. It's um, it's really promising for all the kids out there who like to go and, you know, catch things in the backyard, right? Yeah. And all the people who are building bee hotels to provide habitats because they're they're giving habitat not only for the local endemic species but the skinks and the other little things that like to live in our, all the other little beneficial creatures in our garden. Yes, um, yeah. Kit, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Um, I think we'll have to come back to you again and learn more because there's so many different types of bee and um, they have just so many bizarre and wonderful behaviours. But before I let you go, I wonder if you could tell us about um, some of those mad sex lives of those bees. <laughs> I mean, just yep. just to just to make it a bit, you know, maybe this isn't the the kid friendly section of the of the <laughs> podcast, but just to spice it up a bit because you know bees have some pretty funky sex lives, right? They do, they do. So, I guess we'll start off with Amagilla dorsoni. 
which is the one that I studied and I, I did a lot of um, photographing and video recording of bees having sex. So I feel like I'm an expert on bee sex. You're, a, <laughs> um, you're, a, you're an expert, <laughs> you're a bee pornographer. Oh goodness. <laughs> Not yes. putting that one on my CV. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we can cut that one out, but yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah, so um I I was recording um I wanted to record with um Steve who is the um famous bee researcher. We were looking at their courtship behavior and um their the sounds that they were making and so we were um filming them with like high tech filming equipment um, and we came into some technical difficulties because it was very windy on the clay pan so um, we ended up needing to record in his ute and so Steve sat there with his hat which was like the mating arena with his like micro uh, microphone and of course he, he had to be there ready so I was the like sex chaperone and when the bees what they do is like the males wait the, the major males wait for the females to emerge and then they jump on her and then she piggybacks him like running across the clay pan so I had to look for like little bees like you know double thinking along the the clay pan run after them scoop them up gently in my hand then run over to Steve and deposit the mating bees in his hat for him to film them and we we're like seeing how long they could go for and that the record was over nine minutes which was quite impressive <laughs> so yeah that that was that was pretty cool um and then when it comes to the megachilla utricharia um these bees are the males are readily identified because they got these big um hairy forearms and what they do is when they mate with the females, they actually cover her eyes with their forearms so that she doesn't get distracted <laughs> um, and fly off. <laughs> and then when it comes to, um, if we're going sort of like internationally, there's two groups of bees that have very interesting mating habits. So uh, there's the, um, the, the common name is the longhorn bees and they're called that because the males have very long antennae and they actually give the female a massage while they're having sex. So again, I guess she, she feels comfortable and he, he can go for longer. So, uh, I mean, wouldn't that be lovely? If you... <laughs> <laughs> a massage in nine minutes. Yeah, it sounds good. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible stuff. Well, we, we're definitely going to come back to you, Kit, and ask you to talk to us once again for SheBeak because this has just been a delightful interview. Um, good luck with everything and thank you so much for all your contributions to entomology so far and we look forward to seeing what comes next for you too. Thank you. It's been a pleasure chatting and buzzing about bees. Well, that was a nice chat with Kit. What an interesting uh, young lady. An amazing example of how if you really sort of commit to something and you never know where it's going to take you, you know, like I, I imagine really good things coming in the future for Kit and I'd love to catch up with her again. Yeah, absolutely. I'd really love for you to speak to her again. And um, we have um, obviously still got, as we said, that's the second part of the risk episode coming up soon. So we hope to bring that to you soon and uh, we'll uh, let you know when that's on its way. But aside from that, I guess we just want to wish you all a really lovely holiday season. Stay safe, stay well, enjoy your family and thank you so much 
to everyone that's listened to us um, over the year. We've really appreciated your um, input and your, you know, kind words and everything that's sort of come back to us. And um, we hope to bring you some more interesting content next year. It's just been lovely to the reception to this crazy little idea has been marvellous. I think people can totally relate. We're all busy kind of running around. Um, I'm feeling very disorganised again, um, but <laughs> still still inspired, like constantly I see something on the internet, you see something on Facebook or Instagram and we hear cool stories about female researchers and women in industry doing all these great things and it's just you know, there's so much potential. It just really keeps me inspired, Joe. So I'm hoping that we can continue with what we're doing into the new year. And who knows, uh, you know, the frequency and the content of our of our offerings will be varied, but it will always be interesting. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And, and on that note, if anyone out there has got anything they'd like to suggest to us, anyone that's uh, really keen to have a chat to us about any of their enterprises or research, just, uh, you know, get in touch via our socials. We've got to keep supporting each other and just uh, keep learning and, and enjoying what we're doing with bees. It's always so much fun and just so nice to meet other women in beekeeping. Absolutely. All right, Kathy, you have a good day. It was lovely chatting to you and spending all this time with you this year. And, uh, yeah, here's to 2021 being a better year for everyone. Cheers to that. I'll drink to that. You've been listening to She Beak, a podcast for and about women in Australian beekeeping. Find us on Instagram, that's she underscore beak, S-H-E underscore B-E-E-K, and on Facebook, She Beak. Thanks for listening.